Are you a fan of digital art and collectibles? Then you won't want to miss out on the Mochi Panda Club NFT collection available on OpenSea. We're excited to announce that our new series of limited edition NFTs featuring stunning artwork from JT Studio 12. These NFTs are authenticated on the blockchain, making them one-of-a-kind collectibles that you can own and display forever. With our NFT collection, you'll have access to some of the most cutting-edge digital art in the world, with each piece carefully curated for its beauty, uniqueness, and value. And because our NFTs are verified on the blockchain, you can be sure that you're getting a legitimate, authentic piece of digital art that you can truly call your own. So whether you're an art lover, a collector, or just someone who appreciates the beauty of digital art, our NFT collection is perfect for you. Visit our website today and learn more about the NFTs and start building your own collection today. You can join us on IG and Twitter at Mochi Panda Club and purchase our many NFTs for sale on OpenSea.io by searching for JT Studio 12. This morning, California's Reparations Task Force, the first of its kind in the nation, is voted to send recommendations for reparations to state lawmakers, saying it hopes to right the wrongs of slavery as well as land, housing, and health discrimination. My great-grandfather was a sharecropper who had 17 children and worked from sunup to sundown and died with absolutely nothing. The task force is recommending payments of up to $1.2 million for any African-American over 70 that can trace their ancestry to enslaved people, compensating them for what it describes as harm to their health, mass incarceration, over-policing, and housing discrimination. Land was stolen from many, as in my husband's case. My husband has the deeds to these properties. That state This land belongs to my descendants forever and ever. Several descendants told their stories in a public forum. Task Force member Joven Scott Lewis insists reparations are not payouts. We are returning monies taken, returning monies stolen, returning the monies that had been lost based upon the kinds of dispossession and disenfranchisement. But the task force's work faces two major hurdles. First, no mention of how to pay for the estimated $800 billion price tag, which is more than twice California's annual budget. And the recommendations are non-binding, meaning state lawmakers still have to approve the idea. An uphill battle. The task force will issue a final report to state lawmakers this summer. An interim report also called for a public apology from the state to African-American descendants of slaves and others who are discriminated against and disenfranchised. Hello, and welcome to the Mochi Panda Club podcast, where each week we'll explore all things related to health, wealth, and well-being, especially in the black communities. We'll be breaking generational curses and living our best and truest versions of ourselves. I'm your host, JT, and today we're going to talk about one of the most controversial issues facing our society today. Today's episode is a particularly important one, as we'll be discussing the topic of reparations and why it's an important conversation that needs to be had in this country. Reparations have been a controversial topic for many years, but they've gained renewed attention in recent years as the Black Lives Matter movement and other social justice initiatives have pushed for greater recognition and compensation for the historical injustices and systems of racism that continue to affect black and minority communities. 
In this episode, we'll explore the history and impact of reparations and discuss the various arguments for and against this controversial policy. We'll hear from experts in the field as well as individuals who have been personally impacted by the legacy of slavery and discrimination. Okay, so if you're ready, let's begin. So let's start off by asking a simple question. What is reparations? Well, reparations is the act of providing compensation or making amends for past wrongs, and it has become an increasingly important topic of discussion in recent years, particularly in the context of addressing historical injustices and systemic racism towards black people. The legacy of slavery and discrimination has had long-lasting effects on black communities, such as racial wealth gaps, and reparations is seen by many as a necessary step towards creating a more equitable society. It's important to discuss this issue in order to better understand the history and impact of reparations and to consider how it can be implemented in a way that addresses past injustices and promotes social and economic justice for black people. So if you're not new to this podcast, you surely heard me talk several times about the subject of slavery, but it's important in the framing of the debate surrounding reparations. So again, here is an abbreviated explanation of slavery. Slavery was a legal and widespread practice in the United States for over two centuries, beginning in the early 1600s and continuing until the Civil War in the 1860s. Enslaved black people were treated as property and denied basic human rights, including the right to education, freedom of movement, and the right to own property. Slavery was still a central part of the American economy, particularly in the South, where enslaved labor was used to work on plantations and produce cash crops like cotton, tobacco, and sugar. After the Civil War, the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, but the end of slavery did not mean the end of systemic racism. The Reconstruction Era, from 1865 to 1877, saw some progress towards political and economic equality for black people, but it was short-lived as white supremacists used violence and intimidation to reestablish their power and prevent black people from exercising their rights. The Jim Crow era, late 1800s to 1960s, saw the implementation of laws and practices that enforced racial segregation and discrimination, such as segregation of schools, housing, and public accommodations. Black people were denied the right to vote through discriminatory laws and practices like poll taxes and literacy tests. They were also subjected to violence, lynching, and other forms of terrorism by white supremacist groups like the Ku Klux Klan. Today, systemic racism continues to impact black communities in numerous ways. Black people experience higher rates of poverty, unemployment, and incarceration than white people. They also have less access to quality education, health care, and housing. The cumulative effects of slavery, Jim Crow laws, and ongoing discrimination have contributed to the significant racial wealth gap, with black people on average having significantly less wealth than white people. All of these factors have contributed to ongoing social and economic inequality for black people in the United States of America. 
In the rest of this episode, we'll delve deeper into the history of reparations and explore a case for and against reparations for black people. We'll examine how the idea of reparations has evolved over time and the various ways in which it has been proposed, from direct payments to educational and economic investments in the black community. We'll also explore the arguments for and against reparations. Proponents argue that reparations are necessary to address the historical injustices of slavery and discrimination and to promote social and economic justice for black people. They point to examples of successful reparations programs in other countries and historical precedents for reparations in the United States, such as the reparations paid to Japanese Americans who were interned during World War II. On the other hand, opponents argue that reparations are impractical, too expensive, or that they would unfairly burden future generations who are not responsible for past injustices. Some also argue that individual reparations may not be the best way to address systemic racism and inequality and that broader policy changes are needed instead. Throughout the episode, we'll hear from experts and activists on both sides of the issue and explore the various proposals for reparations that have been put forward. By the end of the episode, we hope to provide a deeper understanding of the history and complexities of the issue of reparations and to provoke thoughtful discussion and reflection on this important topic. The idea of reparations for black people in the United States has a long and complex history. In the years following the Civil War, many formerly enslaved people and their descendants sought compensation for the injustices they had endured under slavery. Some even sued slaveholders for damages, but their efforts were largely unsuccessful. During the Reconstruction era, there are some limited attempts at reparations through programs like the Freedmen's Bureau and the Homestead Act, which provided land and resources for some black families. However, these programs were often underfunded and limited in scope, and many black families were unable to take advantage of them due to discrimination and other barriers. In the early 20th century, the idea of reparations gained new momentum, particularly in response to the violent and discriminatory practices of, dream, of the Jim Crow era. In 1921, the black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was subjected to a devastating race riot that left over 300 people dead and destroyed the thriving black business district of Greenwood. In the aftermath of the riot, some black leaders called for reparations to help rebuild the community, but their efforts were largely ignored. In the decades that followed, there were various calls for reparations from black leaders and activists, including during the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. In 1969, the National Black Economic Development Conference adopted a small resolution calling for 500 million in reparations to be paid for black people in the United States. Despite these calls for reparations, progress towards actual compensation has been slow. In recent years, there has been renewed interest in the issue of reparations, particularly in the light of ongoing racial inequalities and the national conversation around racial justice. 
Some cities such as Evanston, Illinois, have taken steps to provide reparations to black residents in the form of housing grants and other programs, but broader national reparations efforts have yet to be implemented. Overall, the history of reparations in the United States is one of slow progress and ongoing struggle for justice and equality for black people. Throughout American history, there have been key figures and events that have shaped the conversation around reparations for black people. Here are some notable examples. The Civil War and the subsequent Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 marked a turning point in the history of slavery in the United States. However, while the end of slavery represented a significant achievement, it did not provide any compensation or reparations for the millions of people who had been enslaved for centuries. Reconstruction The Reconstruction Era that followed the Civil War was a time of significant political and social change in the United States. During this time, there were some limited attempts at reparations through programs like the Freedmen's Bureau and the Homestead Act, but these programs were often underfunded and limited in scope. Civil Rights Movement The Civil Rights Movement in the 1950s and 60s brought renewed attention to the issue of reparations. Leaders like Malcolm X and James Baldwin spoke out about the need for reparations to address the ongoing legacy of slavery and discrimination in the United States. Tanessi Coates, The Case for Reparations in 2014, journalist Tanessi Coates published an article in The Atlantic titled The Case for Reparations. The article traced the history of systemic racism in the United States and made a compelling argument for the need for reparations to address the ongoing legacy of slavery and discrimination. Evanston, Illinois' Reparation Program in 2019, the city of Evanston, Illinois, became the first city in the United States to approve a reparations program. The program provides housing grants to black residents who were affected by discriminatory housing policies in the city. These figures and events represent just a few examples of the long and complex history of the conversation around reparations in the United States. While progress towards reparations have been slow, these voices and movements have helped to keep the issue of reparations in the public eye and continue to push for progress towards justice and equality for black people. In recent years, there's been renewed momentum in the reparations movement in the United States, with a variety of legislative efforts and grassroots activism pushing for progress towards compensation for the descendants of enslaved individuals. Here are some notable recent developments. H.R. 40. In April 2021, the House Judiciary Committee approved H.R. 40, a bill that would establish a commission to study and develop reparation proposals for black people in the United States. The bill has yet to pass the full House and Senate, but its approval by the Judiciary Committee marks a significant step forward in the conversation around reparations. Then there's grassroots activism. Grassroots movements have played a key role in pushing for reparations at the local level, 
For example, in Asheville, North Carolina, a local reparations resolution was passed in July 2020, providing funding for initiatives to address systemic racism and disparities faced by black residents. Similarly, in Providence, Rhode Island, a reparations resolution was passed in December 2020, creating a commission to study the issue of reparations and make recommendations for action. City-level programs. Several cities, including Evanston, Illinois, and Amherst, Massachusetts, have implemented their own reparations programs, providing funding for initiatives such as housing grants and educational programs. Corporate reparations. Some corporations, such as J.P. Morgan Chase and Quaker Oats, have announced their own initiatives to address their role in perpetuating slavery and systemic racism in the United States. These initiatives have included funding for educational programs and support for Black-owned businesses. Overall, these recent developments in the reparations movement represent a significant step forward in the ongoing struggle for justice and equality for Black people in the United States. While progress towards national reparations remains slow, these local and corporate initiatives are a promising start towards addressing the ongoing legacy of slavery and systemic racism in the United States. There are a variety of arguments in favor of reparations for black people in the United States. Here are just some of the commonly cited reasons. The moral and ethical imperative. Many proponents of reparations argue that it is simply the right thing to do. The legacy of slavery and systemic racism has had a profound impact on the black community in the United States, and reparations would be a tangible acknowledgement of the harm done to them. Furthermore, some argue that reparations are necessary to address historical injustices and move towards a more just and equitable society. And then there's the economic benefits. The racial wealth gap in the United States is staggering, with black households holding only a fraction of the wealth held by white households. Reparations would help to close this gap, providing black individuals and families with the resources necessary to invest in education, entrepreneurship, and other opportunities that could improve their economic prospects. By boosting black economic mobility, reparations could benefit the economy as a whole. Addressing systemic racism. Reparations are not only about compensating individuals for past harms, but also about addressing ongoing systemic racism. The legacy of slavery and Jim Crow laws has created deep-seated disparities in housing, education, and other areas that continue to impact black communities today. By providing reparations, society could begin to address the disparities and create a more equitable future for all. Overall, the arguments in favor of reparations are grounded in the recognition of the historical wrongs done to black people in the United States and the belief that reparations are necessary to create a more just and equitable society. While there are certainly complexities and debates around how reparations should be implemented, the moral, economic, and societal imperatives for reparations are powerful motivators for advocates. One example of a successful reparations program is Germany's compensation program for Holocaust survivors. 
After World War II, Germany began to acknowledge its responsibility for the Holocaust and the harm done to the Jewish communities. In 1952, Germany established a conference on Jewish material claims against Germany, which negotiated with the German government on behalf of Holocaust survivors to secure compensation for their suffering. In the following years, Germany established a variety of compensation programs, including payments to individual survivors, support for Jewish organizations, and funding for Holocaust research and education. Germany's reparation program has been widely considered a success. The program has provided substantial financial compensation to survivors and their families, helping to support them in their later years. The program has also been seen as an important acknowledgement of the wrongs done to the Jewish communities during the Holocaust and a way of promoting reconciliation and understanding between Germany and Jewish communities around the world. While the historical contexts and circumstances around reparations in Germany and the United States are different, the success of Germany's reparations program demonstrates that it is possible to provide a meaningful compensation to victims of historical injustices. It also highlights the importance of acknowledging past wrongs and taking concrete steps to address them, not only for the benefit of the victims, but for the broader society. Yesterday, when asked about reparations, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered a familiar reply. America should not be held liable for something that happened 150 years ago, since none of us currently alive are responsible. This rebuttal proffers a strange theory of governance, that American accounts are somehow bound by the lifetime of its generations. But well into this century, the United States was still paying out pensions to the heirs of Civil War soldiers. We honor treaties that date back some 200 years, despite no one being alive who signed those treaties. Many of us would love to be taxed for the things we are solely and individually responsible for. But we are American citizens, and thus bound to a collective enterprise that extends beyond our individual and personal reach. It would seem ridiculous to dispute invocations of the founders or the greatest generation on the basis of a lack of membership in either group. We recognize our lineage as a generational trust, as inheritance. And the real dilemma posed by reparations is just that, a dilemma of inheritance. It is impossible to imagine America without the inheritance of slavery. As historian Ed Baptist has written, enslavement, quote, shaped every crucial aspect of the economy and politics of America, so that by 1836, more than 600 million, or almost half of the economic activity in the United States derived directly or indirectly from the cotton produced by the million-odd slaves. By the time the enslaved were emancipated, they comprised the largest single asset in America, $3 billion in $1860, more than all the other assets in the country combined. The method of cultivating this asset was neither gentle cajoling nor persuasion, but torture, rape, and child trafficking. Enslavement reigned for 250 years on these shores. When it ended, this country could have extended its hallowed principles, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all regardless of color. But America had other principles in mind. 
And so for a century after the Civil War, black people were subjected to a relentless campaign of terror, a campaign that extended well into the lifetime of Majority Leader McConnell. It is tempting to divorce this modern campaign of terror, of plunder, from enslavement. But the logic of enslavement, of white supremacy, respects no such borders. And the god of bondage was lustful and begat many heirs. Coup d'etats and convict leasing, vagrancy laws and debt peonage, redlining and racist GI bills, poll taxes and state-sponsored terrorism. We grant that Mr. McConnell was not alive for Appomattox, but he was alive for the electrocution of George Stinney. He was alive for the blinding of Isaac Woodward. He was alive to witness kleptocracy in his native Alabama and a regime premised on electoral theft. Majority Leader McConnell cited civil rights legislation yesterday, as well he should, because he was alive to witness the harassment, jailing, and betrayal of those responsible for that legislation by a government sworn to protect them. He was alive for the redlining of Chicago and the looting of black homeowners of some $4 billion. Victims of that plunder are very much alive today. I am sure they'd love a word with the majority leader. What they know, what this committee must know, is that while emancipation deadbolted the door against the bandits of America, Jim Crow wedged the windows wide open. And that is the thing about Senator McConnell's something. It was 150 years ago, and it was right now. The typical black family in this country has one-tenth the wealth of the typical white family. Black women die in childbirth at four times the rate of white women. And there is, of course, the shame of this land of the free, boasting the largest prison population on the planet, of which the descendants of the enslaved make up the largest share. The matter of reparations is one of making amends and direct redress but it is also a question of citizenship. In H.R. 40, this body has a chance to both make good on its 2009 apology for enslavement and reject fair-weather patriotism, to say that a nation is both its credits and its debits, that if Thomas Jefferson matters, so does Sally Hemings, that if D-Day matters, so does Black Wall Street, that if Valley Forge matters, so does Fort Pillow, because the question really is, Not whether we will be tied to the somethings of our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. Thank you. Opponents of reparations have a number of arguments against providing compensation to black individuals and communities in the United States. Here are some of the most commonly cited concerns. One is the cost. The primary argument against reparations is the potential cost. Reparations would likely involve a significant financial commitment from the government, and opponents argue that it would be prohibitively expensive. Some estimates put the cost of reparations in the trillions of dollars, which opponents argue would be an unreasonable burden on taxpayers. Identifying recipients. Another challenge with reparations is identifying who should receive compensation. Given the generational nature of the harm done to black communities, it is not always clear who would be considered a a quote-unquote descendant of slavery or Jim Crow policies. Opponents argue that it would be difficult and potentially unfair to determine who should receive reparations. Then there's backlash and resentment. 
Some opponents of reparations argue that providing compensation to one group would create resentment and backlash from other groups. They argue that reparations could further divide society along racial lines and create animosity between black and white Americans. While these arguments are certainly valid concerns, Proponents of reparations have responses for each of them. For example, advocates argue that the cost of reparations should be viewed in the context of the economic benefit that could be gained by closing the racial wealth gap. Additionally, they argue that identifying recipients could be done through a variety of means, including genealogical research and community involvement. Finally, proponents argue that the potential for backlash and resentment should not prevent society from addressing past harms and working towards a more equitable future. It is worth noting that the debate over reparations is complex and multifaceted, and there are valid points on both sides of the argument. Ultimately, the decision to pursue reparations will depend on a range of factors, including political will, social attitudes, and the perceived benefits and costs of providing compensation. There are several counter-arguments to the concerns raised about reparations. Long-term economic benefits. While the cost of reparations may seem high, it's important to consider the potential long-term economic benefits of closing the racial wealth gap. Studies have shown that the racial wealth gap is a significant drag on the overall economy and that closing this gap could lead to increased economic growth and productivity. Additionally, by providing compensation to black individuals and communities, reparations could help stimulate economic activity in historically disadvantaged areas and promote greater financial stability for these groups. And then there's addressing historical injustices. Reparations are not just about providing financial compensation. They are also about acknowledging past injustices and promoting greater understanding and reconciliation. By formally recognizing the harms done to black communities through slavery, Jim Crow, and other forms of systemic racism, reparations can only help to foster a greater sense of social cohesion and promote a more just and equitable society. There's a certain importance in accountability. And reparations are an important way to hold institutions accountable for past harms. The legacy of slavery and systemic racism is not solely the result of individual actions, but also the result of policies, practices that were implemented by governments, corporations, and other institutions. By providing compensation, these institutions are acknowledging their role in perpetuating historical injustices and taking concrete steps to address them. Fairness and Justice Finally, proponents of reparations argue that providing compensation to black individuals and communities is simply a matter of fairness and justice. Black individuals and communities have been subjected to centuries of systemic racism and economic exploitation. And reparations are a way to address these injustices and provide some measure of redress. While concerns about costs, identifying recipients and potential backlash from other groups are certainly valid. Proponents of reparations argue that the potential benefits of providing compensation far outweigh these concerns. Ultimately, the decision to pursue reparations will depend 
on a wide range of factors, including political will, public opinion, and the perceived benefits and costs of providing compensation. While reparations are one way to address the legacy of systemic racism and promote greater equity and justice, there are also other policy initiatives and social programs that can help address these issues. For example, education. Investing in education, particularly in low-income and historically disadvantaged areas, can help to level the playing field and promote greater economic mobility by providing students with the resources and support they need to succeed, including quality teachers, well-equipped classrooms, and access to technology and other learning resources. Education can be a powerful tool for promoting greater equality and opportunity. Then job training and employment. Providing job training and employment opportunities for historically marginalized groups can help to address the racial wealth gap and promote greater economic security. This can include initiatives such as apprenticeships, vocational training, and targeted hiring initiatives. Affordable housing. Ensuring that all individuals and families have access to safe, affordable housing is another important way to promote greater equality and opportunity. This can include initiatives such as the expansion of public housing programs, the provision of rent subsidies for low-income families, and efforts to combat housing discrimination and segregation. Criminal justice reform. Addressing the systemic racism and inequality in the criminal justice system is another critical step towards promoting greater equity and justice. This can include initiatives such as reducing mandatory minimum sentences, investing in alternatives to incarceration, and addressing racial bias and discrimination in policy and our court systems. While these initiatives may not provide the same level of direct financial compensation as reparations, they can still help to address the root causes of systemic racism and promote greater opportunity for historically marginalized groups. Ultimately, a comprehensive approach that combines reparations with other policy initiatives and social programs may be the most effective way to address the legacy of systemic racism and promote greater equality and justice for all. Throughout this episode, we've explored the history of reparations and its significance in addressing systemic racism and promoting greater equity and justice for black communities in the United States. We discussed the legacy of slavery and discrimination and how this history has contributed to ongoing racial disparities in areas such as wealth, education, and health care. We examined the case for and against reparations, exploring arguments in favor of direct financial compensation for the descendants of enslaved individuals, including moral and ethical imperative to right historical wrongs, the economic benefits of closing the racial wealth gap, and the need to address ongoing systemic racism. We also discussed concerns about the cost and feasibility of implementing reparations, as well as potential backlash from other groups. We looked at examples of successful reparations programs in other countries, such as Germany's reparations for Holocaust survivors, and how these initiatives can provide a framework for addressing historical injustices. Additionally, we examined potential alternatives to reparations, such as increased funding for education, job training, and affordable housing, as well as criminal justice reform. 
Overall, this episode highlighted the complexity of the issue of reparations and the need to uh, form a comprehensive re- approach that acknowledges the historical legacy of systemic racism while also exploring a range of possible solutions that can promote greater equity and justice for all. I hope this episode has provided a thought-provoking and informative discussion on the issue of reparations and its significance in addressing systemic racism in the United States. We encourage our listeners to continue learning and exploring this important issue as well as engaging in productive conversations with others. It is important to recognize that this is a complex and nuanced issue, and there may be different perspectives and opinions. By engaging in open and respectful dialogue, we can deepen our understanding and work towards a more equitable and just society for everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We look forward to continuing this conversation in future episodes. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Mochi Panda Club, and I hope you found this episode on reparations informative and useful. We hope that it has provided valuable insight and sparked meaningful conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve and reach a wider audience. If you have any suggestions for our future topics, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on social media at Mochi Panda Club or email us directly at info at mochipandaclub.com. Together, we can continue to explore issues related to financial literacy, social justice, community empowerment, and as always, health, wealth, and well-being. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, see ya. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. (laughs) 